0: If you would, take your Bibles to John chapter 12. As we come to John 12 here, um, we kind to have a sort of a major transition in the book. In the first 11 chapters, John has shared with us over three years of the life of Jesus, showing us the deity of Christ through seven miracles that Jesus did. He did many more, John tells us, but these seven were his focus. His final sign or miracle was the raising of Lazarus from the grave. Now, throughout these 11 chapters, we've also seen the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Over and over, they wanted to kill Jesus, but they could not because it was not the Father's time. And throughout this book, John has presented Jesus as the only Savior of the world, the only means of forgiveness, and the only hope. Of eternal life. We also see throughout these 11 chapters, and we'll see it continuing on in the Gospel of John, this conflict between faith and unbelief. Now, beginning in chapter 12, John is going to share the details of the last week of the life of Christ. This week is called the Passion Week. Passion Week is the time from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. You can also read about these events uh, in the book of Matthew, chapters 21 through 27, Mark chapter 11 through chapter 15, and Luke chapter 9 through chapter 23, and then here in John chapter 12 through chapter 19, as we'll be looking at these chapters in the coming months. It's given its name, the Passion Week, primarily because of the passion with which Jesus willingly went to the cross in order to pay for the sins of the world. Now, as we consider the gospel, at its very foundation is God's love for us. Over and over as we examine the Passion Week, this last week in the life of Christ, what will be made evident to us is the love of God and his desire to have a relationship with us and his willingness to sacrifice for us. I want to remind you of some verses of scripture that point our hearts and our mind towards God's love. John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 we read, but God commendeth or he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be their propitiation the payment for our sins. Go down a little bit further in that chapter in First John chapter 4 and verse 19. The Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. In Romans chapter 37, or chapter 8, excuse me, verse 37 to 39, the Bible says, nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This truly is God's attitude toward you and me. The Bible makes it very clear that He loves us. He sent Christ to die in our place and he wants us to be saved from our sins. He wants us to have eternal life. So the question is, is when we're presented with the truth of God's love, how do we respond? Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love toward each one of us in that while we were yet sinners, You demonstrated your love by sending Christ, and he died for us and in our place to satisfy your wrath. And I pray that each heart, each life, each mind today would understand that truth, that reality, and may today be the day that we accept Christ as our savior. But Lord, for those of us that are believers, I pray the love of Christ, the love of God would be more real in our life today than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Following the raising of Lazarus, the leadership there, the religious leaders in that day, they were so angry. Again, they sought to kill Jesus, and so Jesus can no longer walk publicly among the Jews. We saw at the end of chapter 11, he goes away for a short time, and and what he's doing during this time, you can find in the, the Gospel of Luke, but John does not give us those details here, but he tells us now it is Passover time once again. The people are coming back to Jerusalem, and Jesus is now one of the most, if not the most prominent figure in the nation of Israel. The people know that the religious leaders are looking to put Christ to, to death. And there in Jerusalem, we find them talking amongst themselves, wondering if Jesus would come back. Up to this point, it had not been God's timing, but now it is. Now is the time that Christ will come to Jerusalem. Now is the time that he will be beaten. Now is the time that he will ultimately go to the cross, be placed in that tomb and gloriously Raise again the third day. We come to chapter number 12 and we see in verse 1, it is six days before the Passover and, and um, Jesus comes to, to Bethany. This event in Bethany launches the Passion Week and launches the events that will lead up to the death of Christ. This story... Here, of what's going on in Bethany is found in all four of the Gospels, and each one of them gives different details of what's going on. And so, I encourage you to sometime go back and read those events. But in the first 11 verses of chapter 12, we see once again the conflict between belief and unbelief. And we see several reactions to Jesus. And it's these same reactions that we see in the world today. Before we get to the passage, I want you to realize something. All of these people had opportunity to spend time with Jesus. Many of them saw firsthand the miracles of the Lord. All of these seven that John had given us, they had seen that, and many of them now had seen and even uh, heard and now have seen about Lazarus and the fact that Jesus raised him from the grave, and many of them are going to believe. And so before we jump into the passage, I want you to understand, we're going to see at the forefront uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and based on their relationship with Jesus, we come to understand they know that he is the Savior. They know that he is the Messiah that Israel was looking for, And, and they know, and they put their faith and trust first and foremost in Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, when you're presented with the gospel, you have one of two options. You can either walk away in unbelief, or you can believe and receive the eternal gift of salvation. And in this story, you're going to see people that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one that is going to give his life for their sin. And you're going to see those that that don't believe, and they walk away in their unbelief. And the truth is, is that they left Jesus in unbelief and they never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they died and left this world, they spend eternity separated from God in hell. And so now let's jump into our passage this morning and look at several reactions from these people uh, in this story there in Bethany. The Bible tells us again, verse 1, Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, w- which... Was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. And so the first reaction to Jesus coming back to Bethany, coming to this meal, and being there in the presence of Jesus is Martha. And the Bible tells us that Martha served. Now, the truth is, Martha kind of gets a bad rap. Uh, Because we all know, many of us know the other story where Jesus comes to town and and Mary goes and sits at the feet of Jesus and Martha is constantly serving and ministering and she gets a little upset with Mary and goes into Jesus and says to Jesus, won't you tell her to help me? Um, And she's sitting here doing nothing and Jesus kind of rebukes her and says, listen, Mary understands what's the most needful. And, and, and you are focusing on, on the busy work, the serving, but Mary understands the need to sit at Jesus' feet to learn from Jesus. And so we don't need to necessarily hold that against her. But as we read um, through the Gospels and we see Martha's uh, servant attitude, anytime Jesus is around We see that she wants to to serve. Now, as you read through the other Gospels, as I mentioned, you'll you'll see that this meal was not at Martha's home, but it was actually at the home of Simon the leper. He's not a leper anymore uh, because Jesus had healed him, but he's known as Simon the leper. And you'll see that this isn't even Martha's home, but we see yet Martha is there serving. And here's my point. Someone has to do it, right? There is a meal that's going on and Jesus and Lazarus and probably Simon and others in the crowd are sitting there at the table and there's this expectation that uh, food is going to be served and that the meal is going to, going to take place. And who is it that steps up and serves? But it is, it is Martha. I want you to understand, God honors service. Service. God honors service. It's interesting, sometimes you know, even as Christians, we'll look at people and, who are serving God and are trying to be faithful and live their life and we'll kind of ridicule for them for that. You know, I think the reason is, is because we're a little, we feel a little guilty that we're not doing it. Like, they're doing a little more than we are. Hey, I praise the Lord for people that serve God in a greater way than I am. I, I hope that's a challenge to, to my faith and, and me, encourages me to do more. But as we read through the scriptures, we see in Matthew 20, Jesus says, let him who would be chief among you be your what? Be your servant. In Luke chapter 12, verses 37 through 38, we read, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Speaking of Jesus serving. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those Servants, You see, service for the Lord is to be exalted. And we should praise the Lord for those that are serving him. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You see, Martha understood who Jesus is, and it caused her to be willing to sacrifice and serve him and those around him. Our faith sometimes pushes us to, hey, we come and we worship, we come and and we're here at the church, we are come and and, and we're attended, and everybody should just be satisfied with that. Hey, Hey, listen, God is not satisfied with that attitude and that mindset. God has called us to be his servants. It was MacArthur who said, really, in complete disregard for Jewish rules, of propriety for women, not to loosen their hair in the presence of men, but her heart is speaking, this is love that knows no limits. Love without restraint, it's extravagant, it's humble, it's generous. She gave everything of value that she could lay her hands on. Speaking of Mary, and we're gonna talk about her in just a moment, but I think Martha did the exact same thing. She did what she knew that she could do. She did what opportunity, what opportunity she had in just serving the Lord and serving the people. And sometimes we look at people and say, wow, what sacrifice because they give, and, and we say, in an extravagant way. And we honor that and we glorify that. Sometimes we glorify people and their talents and how amazing they are. And I'm so grateful for the musicians that we have. Um, But more importantly, I'm grateful that the musicians that we have serve the Lord. They're not just up here for show, but they're up here to serve God and honor Him and glorify Him. And they're willing to sacrifice, but they're also willing to serve. And that's where Martha was. Serving the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think when we understand who Jesus is and what he did for us, that should cause us and push us simply to serve, simply to serve him. God doesn't want us just to come and and to receive and just be takers. He wants us to be givers. He wants us to be servers. And that was Martha's reaction to Jesus. The second reaction is probably the most famous is Mary here in this passage. The Bible tells us that after this that Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. I kind of feel bad for him, for him in this story. Martha's serving, Mary's sacrifice. And what does the Bible say about Lazarus, the guy who actually was raised from the grave? He's just sitting there doing nothing. Like, I mean, that's kind of the picture I get. I don't think that's what God wants us to think, but that's kind of what I think um, sometimes when I read that, but the poor guy. Uh, but verse three, then Mary... Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus also, whom he had raised, or excuse me, that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead." And so the second person we see here is Mary. And this obviously is a great illustration of sacrifice. Many have questioned how much this ointment was worth. And, and most people, commentators, come to the realization that this was about a year's worth of wages. Not, not a year where you worked and paid your bills and then whatever you had left, you saved and put aside. No, this was taking a year's worth of a common laborer's wages and, and, and everything that they earned for that year and putting aside. And she had this beautiful box of and this wonderful perfume and and it meant nothing to her compared to Jesus. And she was willing to break it open and pour it on the feet of Jesus. And as John MacArthur illustrated, she took her hair down and wiped the feet of Christ. She didn't care who was there. She didn't care what everybody else thought. She simply wanted to worship her God in this way. And she sacrificed. She sacrificed. For him. What are we willing to sacrifice? You see, people are willing to sacrifice sometimes money. You know, we'll give some money here and, and, you know, for the work of the church and for the good of the gospel and we'll give. Some people are willing to sacrifice a little time and, and go forth. But, you know, more than the value of that ointment, I believe Mary was sacrificing and showing she's giving herself to the Lord. You see, some of us today, we need to sacrifice our pride before God. She was willing to loose her hair and go against all customs and get down on her feet and wipe the feet of Jesus. You know, some people in this world won't even pick up a piece of paper on the floor for the Lord, because that's not my job, that's somebody else's responsibility. Some people need to sacrifice their pride. Some people need to sacrifice their selfishness. Well, listen, if they serve me, then I'll serve them. That's not biblical sacrifice. It's not about what I can get out of the situation or what you can do for me. It's not about me getting my way. It's about me giving and sacrificing and giving up everything about myself for my savior and for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in Mary. It's not about the value of that ointment, that box. Now, it was for Judas, and we'll see that here in just a moment. And unfortunately, it is for many people. We want everybody to know what we're giving and how much we're giving and how much we're sacrificing because we want the accolades of men as opposed to simply glorify God. And so in Martha, we see somebody that served the Lord. And we see, in Mary, we see somebody that sacrificed And you know, both of them are willing to do that. Why? Because they understand who Jesus is. They understand the value of the eternal life that they have and the the freedom from sin that they have through Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, many sit in churches just like this and we don't understand truly what we have in Christ and truly who Jesus is. And so it causes us to stay in our selfishness and and want to be served as opposed to, to serve others. The third response is there in the life of Judas, and the the third response is selfishness. He says, uh, you know, uh, this could be sold and and given to the poor, and unfortunately, many people are there in the presence of the Lord, and many people are in the church, and they're there not to serve, but they're there for selfish gain. They're there for materialism. They're there for the accolades of men again. They're there to, to have prestige. They can't wait to to advertise on Facebook and social media all that they're doing for God and how spiritual they are and how wonderful they are. And yet really if you watch their life, they do nothing for God. They do nothing. We were in Virginia and I was pastoring the church there and we had some missionaries up in, in Canada and, and a friend of mine's uh, church, they had missionaries in the same region in, in Canada and, and his church took a missions trip up to their missionary and, and uh, he came back and he called me and he said, hey, I really need to meet up with you and need to, to talk with you. And so he comes over and, and we sit down and we talk and he's like and he's like, I just really want to share with you what's going on up in, in Canada, because I know you support one missionary, we support the other missionary. And he said, You know, I was talking to our missionary, we were helping in their ministry, and, and he was saying the missionary that you support um, really just attends his church and, and teaches a Sunday school class, and and every in the rest of the week we don't ever see him. He's not involved in the ministry, he's not serving, and, and the problem with that is he was sending me prayer letters basically Um, mimicking what the other missionary was saying in his prayer letters, and basically saying he was doing it, and and he was sending these to his church, and, and getting all the accolades, and hey, praise the Lord for what's going on in your ministry, and come to find out, he comes to the guy's church, teaches Sunday school, and then goes home and does whatever he wants all week, and that's kind of the way that many Christians want to live their life. We want to do as little as we can, and get the most glory for it in our selfishness. Or we want to, we're only going to do it if there's gain for us. And this is where Judas was. The Bible makes it very clear. He held the bag, he held the money, and uh, he was basically um, stealing. You know, his hand was in the till, as they say. And and, and he was concerned that he was not going to be able to take this money. And unfortunately, there are those that scheme and cheat, even, even in the religious world, even in the Christian world today. And the, but yet, it goes even beyond that. There are just selfish people. They don't, they don't care about Christ and who he is. They don't care about the gospel. They just, it's, life is about them. And they come, and, and guess what? If, if the church doesn't serve me and doesn't do what I want to do and, and doesn't pat me on the back, guess what? I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go find a church that's going to do that. And we see that over and over and over again. People have come through our church, people have gone through most churches, and, 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 and they wind up leaving because it's about them as opposed to about the gospel, as opposed to being about Jesus Christ and who he is. Well, let's move quickly. We see another group of people here as we come to verse number nine. The fourth group is the, basically the crowds or, or, or the multitudes. The Bible says, much people of the Jews therefore knew that Jesus was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he'd raised from the dead. There are the, the curiosity group or those that just want to, to see the, the show and they're always uh, those people that just want to see the show and the excitement and to, to be enter, entertained there are always those people that really, they don't want God, they don't want Jesus, or they don't want his salvation, but they're, they're looking for, for something else. They're just, they're just curious about what's, about what's going on there. And that's where these people were. They just wanted to see. They heard Lazarus was raised from the dead. They couldn't believe it. And they wanted to come see. And these same people in these next chapters are just going to walk away and leave. And many of them are going to be the same people that we're going to see in the weeks to come that are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Because, again, they're just there. They're just there for for the show. And they're curious. And then the final group we see is those that simply hate hate Jesus. The chief priests in verse 10 consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. This Jesus and his works did not help their, their agenda. And so the Bible tells us not only did they want to put Jesus to death, they wanted to put Lazarus to death because people were coming and seeing Lazarus and, and this miracle of Lazarus uh, was pointing people to Jesus and they were believing on Jesus. And they wanted to stop people from believing on Christ. And listen, we see this over and over in our world today. There is great hatred towards the gospel. There is great hatred towards Jesus. And he even told us, we're going to be persecuted if we're preaching the gospel, not because they hate us, but because they hate him. You know, it's easy to get offended and frustrated when people have contempt towards us and get mad at us. Hey, when we're preaching the gospel, that's going to be a reality. Listen, they, they don't want, they don't, they're not against you, but they're against the message that you preach. And that's what we see going on in our society today. There's different political groups and people that have different agendas and they don't want people to trust Christ as their savior. And this is nothing new in our society today. This goes all the way back to the days of Christ where the religious leaders came and they had their agenda and they were selfish and they hated Jesus and and life was about them and their points and their agenda and so they were against everything that Jesus stood for. And so they, they did everything they could But, you know, Jesus tells us that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against him, against his plan, against the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's easy to be discouraged looking at our political climate today and the agendas of our world today. But, hey, the truth is God is still alive and the gospel is still true and God is still saving people and we still have a job to do and we must be faithful. And so this morning as we read through the Gospel of John and we come to chapter number 12, we are presented with the fact that God loves us so much he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to walk away in unbelief or are you going to respond in belief and receive him as your Savior? And if you're a Christian here today, are you responding in the way that you should with sacrifice and service um, to God? Living a life that wants to glorify Him? Or are you responding with selfishness? Maybe even curiosity, like, hey, what's going to happen next? Unfortunately, even people that sit in the church oftentimes respond with hatred. If you're going to preach the truth, if you're going to preach the gospel, if you're going to preach against sin, people get mad about that. And if that's your response, then I would really question my relationship with God and my viewpoints when it comes to Jesus Christ and and who he is. I hope today that we would all respond like Mary and Martha, understanding who Jesus is and, and want to live lives, sacrificial lives of service for him. And really, if you're responding in any other way, you need to check yourself and ask God to work in your heart and life and confess your sin and get involved in the ministry of God.